Okay, and so earlier this morning, we, in chapter 3, we talked about the vision of Joshua. But this Joshua uh, was dressed in kingly garments. And now he was the representative of the coming Messiah. And so he prophesied very accurately what's going to happen. And so many of these prophecies of Zechariah are written in these uh, small cuts, but or they all have pairs, but chapter 3 and 4 are one pair. So chapter 3 was Joshua, and fundamentally it was regarding the high priest. Chapter 4 is speaking of Zerubbabel, and he is focused on the king now. And so these two combined become the priestly king. And so Zerubbabel is regarding king. And fundamentally, when is this time right now? It's about two months before Zerubbabel's temple gets built, gets, starts to be built. And Zerubbabel is a descendant of the genealogy of, of David. And so uh, Zerubbabel isn't a king, but as, as a line of that king, he gets sent as kind of the leader. And though uh, the co construction did not begin yet, uh, there has been many obstruction from Samaria. And also they were not, uh, did not have enough finances. And going beyond that, they could not imagine how they could uh, gather the resources of Solomon's temple. And, and not every single one of the returning exiles are united in heart yet. And so in this mist, this is the vision that was given to Zechariah. And so from verse 1 through 5, is speaking of the golden lampstand with the two branches. So let's look at verse 1. Are still some of you eating ice cream? Okay, enjoy. It's a very good conference, yes? That you get satisfied spiritually and physically. Though I didn't have an ice cream, I would like a cup of coffee. Okay, then let's begin. Okay, I don't think there's any need to drag the sermon out. Of course, that's always my heart. 
Anyways, verse 1. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me. And so it's kind of speaking as if he was sleeping. But this word, wake me, gur, uh, in Hebrew, it means to give inspiration, to inspire. But it's like a man being awakened from sleep, like he's entering into this glory, kind of. And so a new presence is surrounding him. So as I said yesterday, Uh, seeing Zechariah uh, uh, level of prophecy is not just simply seeing a vision, but the presence is continually being renewed, renewed and renewed. And so to my understanding, he's like spending what, what, a year, two years in the midst of that presence, continually seeing visions. And so, fundamentally, he's not seeing different stories, but these various pictures are coming together like a puzzle, like pieces of a puzzle. And so, in this mist, how much growth do you think Zechariah would have experienced? It would have been amazing, yes? And so, fundamentally, when it comes to spiritual growth, Right, you could receive training from a leader like me, also receiving the word, receiving interpretation. Of course, these things are important. But more important, fundamentally, is that when you receive something like that from me, from a person like me, the most important thing is to meet with God. And in the midst of meeting with God, you grow. And so if you receive word from me, of course, it's not just listening. You, of course, listen, but it doesn't end with listening. But through that word, you meet with God. And by meeting with God, you embody that word for yourself. And so if you look at it from this perspective, you can see how important prayer life is. And so you know my, um, my, uh, my testimony. I'm not someone who learned this word from an educational standpoint, right? From an intellectual standpoint. But uh, I was being taught by the word itself, by God directly. And so honestly, that time was very difficult for me because there was no one to teach me. There was no one to help me. I had to just keep relying on God and wrestling until, until I embodied that word. But you received the word from me, but after you receive it from me, now you have to embody it. And especially since you're eating word that is high in calorie content, you need more prayer to embody it. Uh, during those three and a half years I was embodying the word, I prayed 12 hours a day. Because honestly, there was nowhere else where I could understand this word. There was no way I could receive this word from anywhere else. 
So all I could do was bow down before God and wait until God gives me. So that doesn't mean you have to pray 10 hours a day the way I did. But ultimately, the word that you receive through me, you need to embody it through prayer. And in that prayer life, you maintain the fullness of that presence, maintaining the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so really, spirituality is very simple. Who's the one who invests more time in maintaining the presence of God? So amongst you, there's some of you who can't even maintain it for even 10 minutes. That means that that's how weak the new self is within you. And so fundamentally, this kind of person, when you look at them spiritually, they're always distracted. That they're always distracted from, from various things. They don't have the spiritual power, the spiritual force to pray deeply for five hours. They pray 10 hours and then they're distracted. Or sorry, 10 minutes and then they're distracted. And so what you need to understand is this kind of person is filled by the spirit of legalism. If, if you're constantly thinking about other things, that means that you are legalistic in your faith life. You're legalistic in your bodily functions because you habitualize moving first. Living by the Spirit is not focused on work. It's focused on relation. Relationship with God. He needs to move in order for me to move. So fundamentally, this person must be in the presence of God. When I first met with God, uh, I remember it took, I, I was able to maintain the fullness of the Holy Spirit for about a year. And in that year, actually, my, the entire fundamentals for my spirituality, the word, the revelation was made during that, that year. And in that year, God unfolded and helped me grow in all these various ways. And so the victory in your spirituality is who's going to maintain the presence for a long time. If not, and you're constantly thoughts running in your mind, then it's not going to be easy for you to grow spiritually. You need to live a life that can practice the maintaining of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And for this, there, there are many elements you can take. But uh, fundamentally, you need to stop all the unnecessarily times and unnecessary directions. For example, uh, probably the best example is your cell phones or your computers. Or of course, television also is included in that. You need to keep your direction constantly towards God. Then this kind of person will be able to maintain the presence of God longer and longer. And eventually, as God's grace covers over you, you are able to maintain that presence. And you'll, and you'll be amazed at what God does in you in that midst. 
and great secrets will be opened up to you. And so the state that Zechariah is in right now, he's not just one seeing one vision and then a few months later seeing another vision, no. He is in this presence and going deeper into a newer presence, into a newer presence. And so really, as you go from chapter 1 to 14, the, the, the revelation goes deeper and deeper. And that means Zechariah is continually growing spiritually. And honestly, this word growth in itself, if you think of it from the perspective of Babylon, you think that it comes out of effort, right? Like, like great effort, great toil. But that's not what it means, spiritually speaking. It's how long you have fellowship with God. Honestly, I didn't do anything. Uh, if I did anything, if at that, it would be prayer. But I was just in His presence and I grow. Just as if you stay in the sun, you'll get tan. As you are in His presence, you're meeting with Him and you're being transformed. And so that's why I say living with God is easy. If living with God is difficult, then what can I say? Everything else is more difficult. Living with God is the most easiest thing. Amen? Right, living in the world is so difficult. Try living with the devil once. It's, you'll be tortured to death. Living with God is the easiest thing. So anyways, let's continue. And so in that state, as he's entering into a new glory, it's as if he's being woken up, like, like, like he, he is awakened out of his sleep. And so because I go into a new glory, uh, it's like I'm entering into a new state, right? And so my spirit just opens up. So these kinds of experiences, you need to have multiple times in your life. For example, let's say if you're someone like an athlete, athletes know uh, because I, I, I've been training in, ex in sports ever since I was young, this is my best example. But as you train, you practice and practice and practice. For example, if you're doing Taekwondo, you do the same form for like several thousand times. And in the midst of that repetition, all of a sudden your body experiences some kind of, for example, like a new technique or a new dimension of, of, of that same form. Even though it's the same thing being repeated, it's like it's a completely different dimension. Like there's this different strength, different force coming out. It's, it's similar in the spiritual world. As you just continue to have fellowship with God, He just pours out this explosive grace. And in that explosion, you rise up to a new dimension. And so the more deeply you have fellowship with God, the more you will experience this. 
But if you just pray 10 minutes and then do something else for 10 minutes. Thinking here and thinking there and then praying a little bit. Then it's difficult to taste this victory. Amen? So especially pastors like me, uh, I have to meet a lot of people, right? And when I meet with people, how much confusion it brings to your spirit. And, the, and when I minister, the more it gets multiplied, amplified. Because when I'm ministering, there is this spiritual um, collision, right? And so spiritually, you get exhausted. And so these kinds of people, the more they have this kind of time, the more time they need to spend alone with God. And so as a pastor, it's impossible for me to pray during the day. That's why I pray in the morning, 4 a.m. until 8 a.m. Because that's the time where no one will bother me. And so the more time you have meeting with people and engaging with the world, the more you need to spend alone with God. You need to spend more and more time alone with God. And when you spend alone time with God, there will be much that God does in you. And so you need to understand what it means to go into that secret place. And I pray that you would have a secret place of prayer. So let's continue. Verse 2. And so verse 2 and 3 is now speaking of the vision that we will be discussing and as you read it, you won't understand it, right? It's hard to understand. And so I will tell you what this vision is. Okay, on two sides, there are olive trees growing up. So kind of like our, our flag here. So there are these two olive trees growing up. He said... I guess I got to make her my daughter because, because I don't take coffee from anyone who's not my daughter. Because I'm an important person. I only drink what my daughters make me. But it's okay. I trust you. I trust you. Okay, so anyways, let's draw this picture. Okay, there are these two olive branches, olive trees. And from those olive trees drips golden olive, golden oil. And this isn't a menorah, right? But there is a dish, a bowl that receives that oil. And as it receives that oil, it dispenses it to seven different candles. That's what's kind of being painted here. And so though it's not a menorah, it looks like a menorah, right? Right, there's this dish that receives the oil and it dispenses that oil to seven different candles. And so, the, so from the big picture, there are two olive trees and one candle. Lampstand. 
And in that lampstand, there are now seven uh, lamps. So that's the image that is painted in verses 2 and 3. So now let's move to verse 4. Don't you think that this sermon will end quickly then? Amen. Verse 4. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And so what is he speaking of? He's speaking of both the olive trees and the lampstand. And so verse 6 and 7 is the answer regarding the lampstand. Uh, 6 to 10 and then 11 to 14 is the answer to uh, 11 to 14 is the answer to of, of, the, of the olive branch and so then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me do you not know what these are okay uh, the Korean has this nuance whereas if he as if he's flabbergasted at how dumb Zechariah is. You'll see this again in verse... Uh, sorry, I can't see. But anyways, uh, that's not what it is, but rather it's because the vision and the interpretation is different. And so, he, so this is clearly differentiating between the vision and the interpretation. So vision is prophecy and interpretation is wisdom. And so because in the Old Testament, uh, the Holy Spirit did not yet dwell in man. And so uh, there needs to be a separate interpretation. And so remember, wisdom cannot be solved with, with, with um, presence. Okay, interpretation needs to be done in the in, in the indwelling. The reason is because if you look at Ephesians 1.17, that wisdom and understanding is there. Our revelation and understanding. And revelation needs to be worked within you through the Holy Spirit for wisdom to manifest. And the reason why the church has no wisdom is because they lack revelation. Okay, though revelation is not a spiritual gift, to those who do not have any obstructions against the Holy Spirit that dwells within me, they can hear and see and reveal, manifest what God wants. Like Moses being able to discern which rock uh, pours out the water, what God wants, what direction God wants to go, the knowledge to know that. And so if you do not live with this, without the Spirit of God, you do not have wisdom, uh, revelation. And remember, uh, but revelation is not a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts can happen in the presence of God, but, revel but, but revelation is not a gift. It is, it is um, the result of living with God. It's about direction to God. So revelation is the pattern of your lifestyle, not a spiritual gift. 
And so why does the church lack wisdom? Because they lack revelation. Why do they lack revelation? Because they do not live by the Holy Spirit. And so wisdom is something that can only come within the era of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And because all children of God have the indwelling Holy Spirit, fundamentally they are wise. If they have the Holy Spirit but lack wisdom, it means that they are not living with the Holy Spirit even though the Holy Spirit dwells within them. If they live with the Holy Spirit, then they will have wisdom. Because the Holy Spirit Himself is the Spirit of wisdom. And the Holy Spirit confirms the Word. And, so, and that truth itself, that Word itself is wisdom. That's why the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of wisdom. So if you live by the Holy Spirit, you are wise. Amen? And so you will see how the universe revolves. You will see how history unfolds. That's wisdom. And so this is showing the different dimensions uh, that is between wisdom, uh, revelation, uh, interpretation and prophecy. Okay, and so because wisdom is not there, he needs the interpretation of an angel who knows the interpretation of the vision, okay? So how gracious is this that we have this amazing revelation? Right? Angels cannot hear revelation, right? They have to hear what God says to them directly. But because the Holy Spirit dwells within us, we can hear revelation. And that's why we have the right to teach angels. So just with this fact alone, you can see the dignity and the worth of your soul. Amen? Angels cannot write dissertations. Only we can write dissertations as man. Amen? Amen. So from verse 6 to 10. So he's speaking regarding Zerubbabel. And remember, Zerubbabel is the leader of the group. And so, in other words, he's the Messiah. Or he is a Messiah, right? Like, what is a Messiah? A Messiah is like a king, a royal king. And, but this Zerubbabel cannot build the temple out of his own means. And so that's why this prophecy is required, because he cannot make it out of his own means. And so verse 6, it says, uh, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power. So again, not the might of your of your arms, not the might of, of your, your, your labor, For example, when Solomon built his temple, he had many laborers, right? 20, more than 20,000 laborers. Pressed laborers. You know, people bringing felled cedars from Lebanon. 
But right now, that's not the circumstances that they do not have enough power or might, and but by the Spirit of God. And so if you look at it from this way, Zerubbabel is, is realizing that he cannot do anything out of his own strength. All he can do is rely on God. And so does that mean that the circumstances will make it so that you can live by the Spirit of God? Uh, maybe to a point, it, it is possible. But fundamentally, if you have a poor, contrite heart, then no matter your circumstances, you'll be able to rely on God. And so the reason why we do not rely on God is because we are filled with our own strength. Let's say someone has no money, absolutely no money. Does that mean that that person relies on God? He might, but he might not. Relying on God is not dependent on your circumstances. It's your physical strength needs to be sapped. And so your circumstances, your uh, poverty may pr provide the circumstances for you to rely on God. But if you always live that way, then you'll never be left with anything left. You'll always be broken down, always be broken down. And that's not how God wants you to live your life. So that's why we need to get rid of our own strength and be poor in spirit. And be able to rely fully on God. Look at David's, the Psalms of David. Even when he was a king, he never did anything out of his own might, out of his own power. Even though he's a king. He could do many things out of his own might, out of his own power. But that the reason is because David had a poor heart. Look at Daniel. Daniel was the prime minister, the head of Babylon. And so think about what he could have done with the might and strength of Babylon. And yet throughout the book of Daniel, you never see Daniel avail that strength, avail that might even once. Why? Because he has embodied what it means to live relying on God. In other words, using the authority, availing the power of God is much more easier and much more efficient than that of man. Aren't you uh, envious of this? Let's say I have $100,000. And I need something. Then all I have to do is use that money, right? But asking God and God giving it to me is much more easier than me just buying it out of my means. That's what Daniel is saying. And so in your life, if you have been doing spirituality properly, then you should be on the trend where it's easier to ask God and receive from God. And what will happen if this is the case is that you do no longer appeal to the world, try to, try to uh, uh, convince the world. It becomes a hassle to appeal and convince the world because it's not profitable. 
And so you, all you have to do is cry out to God and it's finished. And so why go around to this person, explain to that person, appeal to that person, try to convince that person? Because who knows, that person may, uh, whether that person is, um, misunderstands you or, or is confused, it doesn't matter because God knows. That's, how it, that's what makes it easy to live with God. And so look at the lifestyle of your, of your life. How much you try to appeal and convince people in the world. And how much you try to solve your problems out of your own means. That's where you are suffering loss. You are suffering loss in the sight of God's glory. Look at David or Daniel. Even though they are kings, even though they are prime minister, they do not avail those means. And that's one of the most important prayer of mine is that I would not work within the means of my position as a head pastor of Yobang Church. And though I pray this way, many times I live out of those means. I, of course, I repent. But there is a part of me that is not yet free regarding this. It's because my spirituality is not yet there, is not yet at that level. And also, another reason is because Pastor Lee works so well. And so if I want to uh, have good spirituality, I need to kick out Pastor Lee. Really, this is torture. Because I have six associate pastors who move at the drop of a word. They move very well. And so, and so because my position is a position of power, right, I, I do my best not to habitualize this. And even though I know and I'm aware of this, I still fall to this trap all the time. And so Daniel and David, that's, that's the amazing, amazingness of their spirituality. And so think about Daniel. Even though he knew the decree, did he open the windows and pray out loud? Would you be able to do the same? I've preached on this before. But the most important thing here is that he is not trying to appeal to the world. He is not trying to convince the world, trying to defend himself, to, 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 yeah, to defend himself. It's, it's a hassle. All he has to do is cry out to God. Because if God's will is for me to die, then I die. Right? How simple is that? As simple as that. Isn't this good? This isn't made overnight. But as you're continually meeting with God at a personal level, this is, will be built inside of you. And so, in order to be able to go to the lion's den like Daniel, uh, at length, 100 years. Sh short term, maybe 80 years. That's how long it takes. And so, 
And so if you are having fellowship with God properly, then what you will see is like Daniel, your desire and your will to solve things through God by crying out to God, becoming more and more part of you. Our God is a living God. Amen. He does not turn his ear away from your prayers. He does not ignore your prayers. And so that's why it says in Hebrews 11 that we cry out to him, Abba, Father. Because when we pray to him, he, he responds. He responds without fail. Even to your thoughts, to your innermost thoughts, he responds. He has an obsession over you. That, that, that's, that's another way to say. And yet, do you want to turn to people? And yet, do you want to turn to the world? Does that make sense? So Zerubbabel only has the option to, to look to God. And so through the process of putting yourself to death, what kind of life will you live? Philippians 4.11, Paul says that I know how to be content in riches, in poverty, in persecution, in rejoicing, that in all things I know how to be content. And, and so I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul in AD 50 went through great suffering, great trials and tribulations. And as he passed through that time, he wrote the letter to Philippians around AD 60, around 64, around 64, right, AD 64. And so in that 10 years of great tribulation, Paul grew in, um, exponentially so that when he wrote Philippians, he could make this confession. That no matter the circumstances, I can maintain the same state. And what does that mean? That means that no matter the circumstances, if God strengthens me, I can do it. That is an expression of Paul's confidence of faith. And so here, what does he say in Philippians 1.17? That whether I live or die, Christ is glorified in me. Whether it's my words, my thoughts, my actions, my behavior, all of these things reveal God's glory. Amen. And so Peter also in 1 Peter 4, 7, what does he say? That whoever he speaks, speaks as if he's speaking the words of God. And whoever who's working as if he's working out the merit of God. And so in your life, the source of your failure, the source of your mistake is this, is that you act out of your own strength. If I were preaching out of my strength, then this sermon is a failure. But no matter what I do, if it's in God, God is there, is manifested. And so we must work in the strength of God. 
and working in the spirit isn't some kind of abstract hope. Working in the Holy Spirit isn't a good method out of many. Living with the Holy Spirit is the only way. Because living in the Holy Spirit is the only way to unravel God's will. It is the only way to act out on God's strength. And so I should not work out of my own potential. Okay? Just as it says in Proverbs that right seems a way to a man that leads to death. And so living in the Holy Spirit isn't a matter of choice. It is the only way. It is absolute. Amen? So let's continue. So if God desires it, then we need to have confidence in what He desires. If God speaks, we need to be able to act it out in confidence. It's not about whether I can do it or not, but I have confidence. Amen? And so living in the Spirit, you need to understand this is the absolute way. So let's continue. And so because God empowers them, He's able to do it. And so remember, Zerubbabel is kind of like uh, the Messiah, is a symbol of the Messiah. And so he is someone who, uh, and so our Lord is also someone who lived without being separated from the Spirit. Even to the point when he died on the cross, even though he knew that he was the king of all kings, it, he, he was not revealed to be the king of Israel until he died on the cross. And so here, Zerubbabel knew he was a king, but he was not yet revealed as the king. How? Through the Holy Spirit, living in the Holy Spirit reveals that he is the king. And, and so living in the Holy Spirit, he sees his kingly authority and it is made manifest. And so that's what's being prophesied in verse 6. And so in the same way, when we live in, as the Lord did, by giving up ourselves and living by the Holy Spirit, then we can live in the same way. Amen? As Jesus said, those who believe in me will do greater works than these. And so the same spiritual functions is moving inside of us, is applied to us. And so putting ourselves to death is our victory. Verse 7. And, and so though he is in the spirit, that doesn't mean that there's no obstacles. So verse 7, there's these obstacles. Who are you, great mountain? And so mountain represents tribulation and struggles. From Zerubbabel's point of perspective, as I mentioned earlier, right, the Sumerians um, causing obstruction, also problems with finances, right, all of these things are the mountain, the great mountain. But and yet, we see to Zerubbabel this mountain becoming a plain. What does it mean it becomes a plain? 
It means that all the issues, these mountains, are laid flat. So living in God, for example, if I don't have money, it's not that He gives me money, but rather, what does this mountain becoming a plane mean? That if I don't have money, give me money? Now, of course, that may be the case. That may be the way it becomes a plane. But many times, God's method, what does it mean making the mountain into a plane? That whether I have or not, it doesn't matter. Because God always brings His will to fruition. And so whatever method is used, ultimately God's will is done. And so when we, when we say we believe in God, we're not believing in what He will give. We're believing in who God is. Believing that He always brings His goodness to pass. And when He desires it, He will make it come to pass. And so living by the Holy Spirit is that no matter what, nothing can be a problem. But conversely, if you live in the Holy, if you don't live in the Holy Spirit, whether you have, it's a problem. Whether you don't have, it's a problem. Everything is a problem. And so look, men, when they have, the more they have, the more arrogant they are, the more vain they are. And that's why they need to reign over all of these things in the Spirit of God. And that's why when we live in the Holy Spirit, we can maintain the poorness of the Spirit. And that's why we can continually yearn for God more and more. If all my circumstances become so easy, what happens is I become obese spiritually. And I become dull to God. I become insensitive to God. And so you become ruled by your circumstances. And so that's why we need to live by the Holy Spirit. And living, living in the Holy Spirit, clear evidence of living in the Holy Spirit is thirst and desire. And so are you, if you do not desire holiness, do not desire growth, then you are not living in the Holy Spirit. If you are not desiring the Spirit things, you are not living in the Holy Spirit. If you live in the Holy Spirit, you will continually yearn and desire after these things. Let's continue. And because he lives in the Holy Spirit, all the mountains before Zerubbabel become a plain. It's the same thing what happened to Jesus, yes? He came and lived fully in the flesh. But when he lived in the Holy Spirit, none of those problems of the flesh was a problem. When demons came, he cast them out. He walked on water. He turned water to wine. And whether he had or not, nothing was a problem. Hallelujah. Let us continue. The top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. And he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Okay, the top stone is talking about the finishing stone of the building. And so remember, Zerubbabel began the construction of the temple. 
and he will finish it. But Zerubbabel only appears for a short time in the historical records. And so what this is talking about right now is talking about the Messiah. And so when he finishes the temple, there will be shouts of grace, grace to it. And so this temple, spiritually speaking, is the temple within us, within us individually, right? You are the temple, but also it's speaking of the perfected temple that will come in the new heaven, New Jerusalem. And so in history, he is the one who perfects and completes his temple. And he sits on that throne as king of kings. And then so it says grace, grace to it. And other words is beautiful, beautiful. This is the same word that the crowds met with Solomon as he was being crowned. And so as this temple of Zerubbabel is being completed, it means that the king has come to reign. That's what this symbolizes, the shouts of grace, grace to it. And so this was prof uh, fulfilled uh, not through Zerubbabel, because Zerubbabel doesn't become king, but through Jesus Christ, who becomes king, because he is seated as king. And going beyond that, he is seated on the throne and he determines the fate of history of man. And so if you look at Hebrews 2, 6, that when he is seated on the throne, we are seated with him. And so you are not just ideologically kings, but in practice, as he is king, you are kings. You have already been called as kings. That is amazing truth, amen? And so what you need to see right now is how much you have failed to avail the power and authority God has given you. It's so much that you are suffering. That the moment you were saved, God already poured all of this out on you. Ephesians 1.3 says that His Spirit came upon me and already blessed you in this everything of the spiritual realm. And yet, why, are you, why do you, are you unable to do? Because you're unable to believe. Because your bindings of the flesh keep you from manifesting it. We need to loosen these things. We need to believe in the Word and, and, and have these things then all of these things will reveal themselves within you. Amen? Look at how great the riches of God's grace is that He has already given you. That, ah, the fact that my life is such a struggle is not because I lack something. It's because I fail to recognize what God has given me and who God has called me to be. Because I've cast away the faith and the spiritual sensitivity to avail these things. That I have lost the, the truth of my identity. That's what you need to recognize tonight. Amen? So let's continue. And so the prophecy shows that he is coming as king, amen? 
So verse 8 and 9. It's the prophecy of the finishing construction of the temple. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, verse 9, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. Right? Zerubbabel began the foundations, right? That is the truth. His hands shall also complete it. And this has not yet happened, right? And so, uh, there are many uh, legends about, about what happened to him, uh, that he was assassinated or that, that he was kidnapped. But who's, who will complete it? It's the Messiah, right? The Messiah. We are the temple, yes? And our temple being completed is not in our strength, but through His strength. Amen? And so if we live in His Spirit, He will perfect that temple inside of us. And so He has already confirmed to you that you are His temple, and He has poured out His blood, and He has given you His word. And you are not just any temple, but the Holy of Holies. And he continually pours grace so that it can be perfected. And so the word, Holy Spirit, and, and the blood inside of you, as long as this is inside of you, you will grow. And so I say to you again, do not be deceived. It's not because you lack that you fail. It's because you keep trying to mix other things apart from these three things that are already inside of you. If with these three things alone, your life is fulfilled. Your life is so simple. Your life is so glorious. That's the faith we need to have, brothers. And so spiritual men will remove the things apart from these three things. Be it's because you have so much apart from God that you struggle so much. It's because you have so much apart from Jesus that you struggle so much. You need to live by God, but you can't live by Jesus. That without Jesus, you still feel like you have enough. For example, with pastors, it's like, even if God doesn't pastor my church, I can pastor my own church. Right? These days, there's so many tools available to pastors. All you have to do is use the computer. Even in your computer, it can write your sermons for you. You don't need to prepare your sermons. Right? Right? Pastors, you can, you can. Right? There are many famous sermons that you can find just on the computer. And that's why the church fails. Because the church needs to be pastored by God and God alone. But you keep, you have so many tools available to you. As it says, uh, that, as it says in Philippians 3, 7, that there's nothing greater than the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that everything else I consider as refuse, that I throw away so that I can run the race. 
And so if you really like that, if you really like shit so much, then go to the bathroom of Paul to find his shit that he threw away. Okay, back in the day, there used to be a place that you would take dumps where you would, where you would go poo, right, separately in the bathroom, right? Ah, uh, sorry, no, no. When I was young, there used to be a bathroom and it would be elevated and under the bathroom is where, where pigs would live, right? Because, you know, I would open the door and close the door and all of a sudden I would hear the snorting of pigs. And so like those kinds of pigs, just go to the bathroom of Paul to, and eat your fill of that poop. And so, um, then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And so it is the Lord who finishes our temple. Amen. And okay, I emphasize this all the time. That spirits must not be touched by man. Man must not touch spirit. Like it says in 1 John 1, that the anointing teaches us that you do not need anyone to teach you. Especially pastors like me who proclaim the word needs to be careful. Okay, if I do not preach in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, then ultimately what happens is that you start to touch your own souls. And so the saints stop living by faith, but live by humanism and by uh, standards of the world. There are only two beings who can touch souls. God and demons. And so if you do not preach out of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, then it's not God touching your heart. And, and that becomes blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. And so you don't know whether this is the devil or not. And so uh, preaching is this delicate matter. It's such a delicate matter. Like it says in Malachi, that I have put wisdom in your mouth. And so we should preach only the truth. But I proclaim my thoughts. I proclaim my experiences. I proclaim my, my knowledge, my education then what happens is I'm touching the souls of men. And as I always say, whenever a bird tries to lay an egg, or no, sorry, when a bird tries to hatch out of its egg, if man tries to help it, that bird will never fly. It's the same thing with the spirit. If you keep trying to mess with the soul with the hands of man, that soul will never fly. And so you need to uh, pastor in the Holy Spirit so that the saints do not lose their wildness. And if they grow in this kind of church, then they'll be able to go anywhere and minister anywhere. 
They can go anywhere to minister, anywhere to nurture. They can go in the midst of the war because you have raised them in the Holy Spirit. They do not lose their wildness. So it's like this. You need to raise up disciples that the kingdom of heaven needs. If you keep trying to make disciples that you need, that is the problem. Then when you stand before God, you will be scolded. And not only to scold it, you may not even be able to see the king. So this is actually very terrifying to as a pastor. So above all else, during the time you are preaching, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to always be sure, assured that He is leading you as you preach. You should not preach out of your thoughts. You should not preach out of your technique or out of, out of the structure of, of habit. But see, ah, the anointing is here. Ah, he is using me as his vessel. Ah, he is pouring his anointing. You must be assured of this. Amen? And so that's why we can say he has completed the temple. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And so it's similar words here. But so, so look. It's when that temple is completed that, that ah, that, that man was the Messiah. And so what does Hosea say regarding the Israelites? Is in chapter 4, 6. He says that my people are ruined for their lack of knowledge. What does it mean? Israel doesn't know God? It's because they do not receive the word of God. Because they do not live in God. It's the same thing to the church. To saints who are growing in the righteousness of God. They know who Jesus is. But souls that are touched by man, they do not know God. And so as I've been pastoring in our church for 14 years, this is the danger. So many people have been um, um, corrupted by the touch of man before they met with me. And this is actually what tortures me the most. If they came as a blank slate, it would have been easier. But I, they would have just grown and grown and grown. But because they met with so many people who touched their souls before they met with me, it's such a hardship to, to reach to them. They're filled with humanism. They're filled with philosophies and various, various ideologies. And these kinds of things torment them. Spiritual, spirit of religion. And that's what's so difficult in our church. So for 10, 20 years, they still don't change. What can I do but wait? And so as long as they do not run away and endure, I wait. Because eventually God will break through. Amen. 
because the new season upon us, it will get faster now. It will get faster. And so whenever I say it will be fast, that's anywhere from three months to 30 years. Who knows? But do not despair. There's no reason to despair. You're, you, you experiencing that kind of church, that kind of pastor, wasn't your choice. It wasn't your choice. And so God will have mercy. Amen? Let's continue. Verse 10. And so now speaking of God who is with Zerubbabel. So the interpretation may be a little bit delicate. So let's look at this. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. So the temple is complete. And if you apply this to Zerubbabel, the people who have seen the scale of Solomon's temple, when they see the insignificance of Zerubbabel's new temple, they beat their breast. the temple of Solomon was so glorious how can we call this the temple that's what this is speaking of. and yet it's not Zerubbabel but the Messiah what is this speaking of from that perspective as it says in Isaiah 4 53 that Jesus is ugly right he, ha he has nothing to show for himself. He came, he came as this insignificant man. And I'm pretty sure you cannot draw this in your head. But just think of me and then cut it in half. Right? He's only half as good as looking as me. Okay, uh, three months before my, my wife wrote in her diary, before she married me, she wrote in her diary three months before. Diary. And what she wrote in that diary is that help me to meet with this kind of husband. There were five things. There were ten things. Ten things in that list. She wrote these 10 things. Someone who could re transform religion. And so, all nine things, nine things were exactly me, except for one thing, which she's put is, let me marry an ugly man. That's the only thing that I do not align up with. That's the only thing I do not line up with, is the ugly man part. And so can you draw what Jesus might have looked like? Right, just look at me and his half. But what it says in Isaiah is that he has nothing to show for himself. No human hope, no, no human uh, majesty. That's what's being spoken of here. And shall see the plumb line in the hand of rejoice. Yeah. 
Uh, so this plumb line, um, I, I think this needs a little bit of explanation in Hebrew grammar. And so, who shall rejoice? Where is the subject in the sentence? Okay, the seven. Seven is, needs to be the 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 um, the, the subject. And so these seven, right, we see this later in the verse, these seven are the ones who rejoice. And these seven are what? Are the eyes of the Lord. And so these seven see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel and rejoice. And what are these seven? It's the eyes of the Lord that range through the whole earth. And so, who is rejoicing at the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel? It is the Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit is rejoicing. Then what does this mean, the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel? Okay, this word plumb line comes out twice in the Bible. Okay, plumb line is something to uh, level, to find the level when you're building a building. Right? But it's not used as that. This is rather talking about finding purity. And so there is this measure of purity in the hands of Zerubbabel. So, what is this purity line? As I said earlier, it is this uh, completed temple. So it could symbolize Israel. It could symbolize the church. And so what it means is that the Messiah is reigning over that perfected, um, that perfected purity that is represented by the completion of the temple in his hand. So this pure spirit, this pure heart, that Jesus reigns, the Messiah reigns over that. And so who rejoices? The Holy Spirit. And so when you are pure, when you are pure, then he reigns over you and the Holy Spirit rejoices. And so here, even here, the Messiah and the Holy Spirit cannot be separated. Through your purity, the Holy Spirit rejoices. So this is the image of the church and the end times. That when the Holy Spirit, or when Jesus reigns perfectly over, the Holy Spirit rejoice, and they, and then the church will be filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so let's continue. And so, um, verse eleven is uh, so up until now was talking about the candle, the lampstand. And so through Messiah, through the King, the church that is to be established is being described. He's talking about the new Jerusalem that he's going to establish in the end times. 
that he alone will reign and the church that he has built with his hands. Amen? And so let us rejoice that he is the head of our church. Amen? That we want to be a church that moves according to his commands as the head of the church. Amen? And so now let's look at verse 11 to 14. So now this is talking about the two olive trees. And so he asks, what are these two olive trees? And again he asks, do you not know? If I knew, why would I ask? <laughs> and so how does he respond? Verse 14. These are the two anointed ones. And so what does it mean to be anointed? It's not using different language from the Messiah. Okay, uh, no, so it's a different word from the word Messiah. It's Atsar, which is like anointed sons. And so, the two olive trees are not the Messiah. It's a person who receives the anointing of priestly king. And so we don't know who they are, but what we do know is that they stand by the Lord of the whole earth. And so, so they stand by the Lord, who is the Lord of the whole earth. That means that they stand with that authority and power of the Lord of all the earth. And so with this revelation, uh, John takes this revelation and unfolds it of the two witnesses in his book of Revelation. So let's look at Revelations together. Revelations, verse 11. We don't have to look at all of it, but look at verse 3. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, clothed in sackcloth. So who are these two witnesses? There are two witnesses who will rise up in Israel, from Israel. And when will they come? Okay, what does it mean for 12, uh, 1260 days? It means that uh, three and a half years of, uh, uh, of the second half of the tribulation. And so if you look at Zechariah, uh, there is the final re revival of Israel. And after the three and a half years of the ministry of the two witnesses, the Lord will return. And so during these three and a half years of the two witnesses, there will be a great revival in Israel. 
I will talk about this later when I do Zechariah 12. And so Jerusalem will have the two witnesses during this time. They are the two olive trees. But uh, Apostle John, 500 years later, sees this and also sees two lampstands, not just two olive trees. Apostle John is someone who completed the revelation of Daniel and Zechariah. Zechariah saw two olive trees and one lampstand. John saw two olive trees and two lampstands. And so that means his revelation has been perfected. And what are the lampstands in Revelation's perspective? We'll see here in verse 1 that it is the church. And so, when there are two witnesses in Israel, these two olive branches, there will also be two churches of the, of the Gentiles. And so there will be these two witnesses during the time of tribulation. And we'll see who they are in, in Revelation 5. Okay, we don't know who they are, but from their lit mouths will come fire that swallows up their enemies. And so... In this tribulation, because they work in this power, the Antichrist can do nothing to them. But the two lampstand, the two church, Gentile church, also have the same authority. Why? Because the same anointing that flows through the two olive trees also come to the lampstands. And so already this anointing is flowing through the churches of the, of the Gentiles right now. And so who are these people? Verse 6. They have power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. Who is this? It's Elijah. And they have power over the, wa over the waters to turn them into blood. Who is this? Moses. Did Moses die or not? Did Elia die or not? Elijah did not die, right? How about Moses? Rather than Moses dying, he fainted. Why? Because they don't know where his corpse is. Right? They don't know where his corpse is. And so if they had his corpse. Is that death or is that fainted? Fainted. Jesus' death is my death. If there's death, there must be evidence of that death. Jesus' burial is my burial. 
there must be a corpse in order for it to be considered death. And so Jesus' death is my death. Jesus' burial is my burial. And so if you died with Christ on the cross, there must be evidence of that death. There must be death uh, evidence that the old self has died. But fainting is not enough. Moses has no corpse. And so that means he is just fainted. And when does it appear? He appears in, in 3,000 years later. And so that's why these two will die then. And so the two witnesses is Elijah and Moses. Who does Elijah represent? He represents the prophets. Who does Moses represent? He represents the apostles. And so apostles and prophets becoming one. And so in the time of tribulation, they will raise up a great revival in Israel. Then why is the two lampstands for the Gentiles? It's speaking of unity in the church. The two witness church of, of the Gentiles needs to unite. Now, of course, they also have the same characteristic of apostles and prophets. And so I'm not sure whether that's exactly two churches or not. But what's clear is that these two lampstances is the united church of the Gentiles. So let's go back to Zechariah. And so in these end times, in the midst of this tribulation, in order for us to have this victory it, during the tribulation, God establishes his two witnesses. And in that tribulation, Israel, and we'll see later through Isaiah and other books, that these two uh, witnesses for Israel, but they're also the two lampstands. And for one nation to be established, the, uh, before that nation is established, the flow of that nation, the system of that nation, has already begins. And so there are people preparing for that nation to be established before that nation is even established. Like it says in Isaiah 44, that the voice of those preparing the, in the wilderness. And so that anointing of Elijah is already flowing to prepare the way in the wilderness. This anointing starting in 2016, uh, this golden anointing has already been flowing. God is raising up his generation of Elijah. And though it may be small in number in these end times, these two witnesses until the very end will take the victory, will claim the victory from the Antichrist. And so one will be in 
Jerusalem and the other from the perspective of the Gentiles. And so Zoe Ministry is doing that from the perspective of the Gentiles, the ministry of the two lampstands. Amen? So that is the end of the sermon. And so let us once again open the gates of these two witnesses wide. And this isn't my personal will or desire. God is even now pouring out this powerful kingly anointing, royal anointing. And maybe, I don't know if you're aware of it, but this anointing clearly defines and distinguishes who it anoints. And so if you do not want this anointing, don't receive it. Let us receive, amen, brothers? Truly. Do you know what amazing time awaits you from God? That when you open your mouth, fire comes forth. That when you curse, that curse falls. When you bless, it blesses. And so what's important to the generation of Elijah? As it says in Luke 1.17, that give us the heart and spirit of Elijah. I don't like this person, and so I curse that person, and that, that person dies. What are you going to do? I need to have the heart of Elijah. That is important. What does the heart of Elijah say? Like it says in Malachi 4.4, the heart of the father to the son and the son to the father is the one who knows the heart of the father. And so he doesn't use his power in vain. And so with the heart of Elijah manifests the power of Elijah. So it's important to have a pure heart, a heart that knows the love of God. And to this kind of person, God's love, our God's power makes is manifest. So Lord, give us the heart of Elijah. Give us the power of Elijah. The anointing, the kingly anointing that has been flowing since 2016 may overflow in us. And Lord, open the gates of the two witnesses wide. That the two lampstances would open up to the two olive branches. Believe, brothers, believe. Believe that you have been called as the generation of Elijah. Honestly, in these end times, only these two olive trees and two lampstands are, will stand victorious. Those who are not corrupted by the great prostitute. Those who follow only after the lamb. Jesus is raising up his pure generation. And in these end times, the generation that will prepare and welcome the Lord. What great privilege. What great honor. That whenever kings would send, uh, back in the history, whenever kings would send secret messengers, right? They would send secret messengers. 
then they will they will not open that until they get out of the city gates. And then they would open that seal and they would be overwhelmed with inspiration that they would bow to the king right then and there. You are the secret messengers of this day and age. You are secret messengers, which means you can command all legions, all armor, army, that whatever is required for your mission, you can avail it. And so we are all going out as these secret messengers. And so what do we say this? That the two witnesses are passing through. That's the authority we have. So Lord, we pray. Lord, today pour out this explosive anointing upon us. That the two lampstands of the Gentile church would be one. You shall be filled with the anointing of the king. Open the gates to the anointing of the two witnesses. After just a little while, the power and authority of these spiritual things, you will see being made manifest in the physical realm, clearly. You will see once again fire falling from heaven. You will see once again manna falling from heaven. You will see water coming from the rock. You will see the signs of the word manifest unlimitedly. And I'm not saying this saying that we need power. No, rather I'm saying that the time of the two witnesses is upon us. And so I don't know what you've seen for the past 24 years, but Zoe ministry didn't emphasize just one thing. We didn't just emphasize just the word. We didn't emphasize just charismatic power. No, for the past 24 years, Zoe ministry has proclaimed the entirety of the kingdom of heaven. Why did God do this? Because this ministry is the ministry that opens the gate to the two witnesses. And so he is moving the entirety of the kingdom of heaven. So wherever we go, whatever miracle, whatever presence, whatever word, all of it, all of it was to flow this anointing, this anointing to open the way for the two witnesses, to open it, to open that way. It shall open. This generation of Elijah shall rise, shall rise. More, Lord. Pour out more anointing. 